0: Thank you for this time of prayer and for meeting us um, in the different ways that you did. And uh, we just thank you for the fact that you work and that you move and you are um, just so present with your people. It's such a good thing, God, that we are not left on this earth alone to figure things out by ourselves, to try to just get by or manage on our own without the knowledge of you. That would, just, that would be a very sad existence and I'm so grateful God for the knowledge of you that, that we can live in the freedom of Jesus Christ live in your forgiveness, live in your grace your grace is so amazing God that you just it, your word says that you've lavishly poured it out upon us you're just so generous towards us you, just, you give us so much we don't even deserve anything, and yet you, you give us more than we can even imagine. It's absolutely amazing. And so we thank you for this, God. We thank you for the, the joy of your truth. We thank you for the peace that it gives. We thank you that, that we have a real peace in knowing Jesus Christ. Hope and confidence that we will be with you forever. That there is a resurrection of the dead. And that that will happen when you come again. And we will be with you forever. And into the place and the situation of everlasting joy. Thank you, God, for these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, uh, just a couple of announcements, and then Junior Church will be dismissed in a moment. So uh, just, I think we've got three on the board here, uh, the screen this morning. Uh, First, this Tuesday, we have a prayer gathering. And uh, usually it's the first Tuesday of the month. But this month, it's the second Tuesday. So. But it'll go back to the first Tuesday in March. So we'd love to have you join us for that. That is a really special time. If you're able to, to carve out a couple hours, uh, it starts at six o'clock. We come and we pray. Uh, we look at the scriptures for a few minutes as well, just talk a little bit. And then we, after, we, after we're done praying, we share a meal together. We also encourage fasting um, beforehand, that's not required don't feel bad if you come with a full stomach. It's not a problem at all. Just come and pray with us. Um, you know, it's, we, we also believe that the discipline of fasting is important and significant, and so if you'd like to uh, do that as well, that, that's great, but if not, that's also great. Uh, also, we're just, every year, we get so excited about summer day camp. Um, ever since the first year, we did it a few years back, and so uh, February 21st will be the summer day camp uh, kickoff meeting for the year. Uh, if you're interested, if you have any questions, want to get involved, or just want to learn more before the meeting, talk to my wife Jennifer right here on the front. Uh, she would love to talk to you about that because she loves hearing, yeah, I want to be involved or tell me more about it. And that's, that's such a blessing for her to to hear that, uh, that people are interested in, in wanting to invest. And so Check that out, and then don't forget for those especially for those of you who are who are involved and invested in our alpha groups, uh, we have our alpha weekend, March first and second so just mark, note that on your calendars. Okay, junior church, you guys can head on downstairs. hope you guys have a great class once again I, I just can't. Tell you how grateful we are for all of you who serve um, in 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 any in all of the ministries of this church. It's such a blessing. There, there, there's like 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 Jesus. There's an extra blessing, uh, an extra encouragement to those of you who who bless our children. Um, when you pour into the lives of children, there's just it's just it's, for some reason there's just an extra special uh, nature to it. And so so a special thank you to those of you who serve in our children's ministries. Uh, investing in them, showing them the love of Jesus, that is so critical, and God is so pleased uh, with that. He's so pleased with all of our service unto him, so I thank God often for you all that this is a serving church, a giving church, um, a church that loves one another genuinely, and it's been a joy to to see that. Uh, let's pray again and just ask God to prepare our hearts uh, for, for receiving his word and, uh, and the message this morning. God, here we are. We uh, come before you um, as broken people, yet also as completely fixed people by your love and by your grace and through your mercy and sacrifice. You have mended the relationship. You have brought us into your presence, and you have said, you've declared over us that we are the righteousness of God, that we are the holiness of God. Which, is, which blows my mind. And so, God, here we are. We stand before you in this amazing and new position that we can experience you in all of your fullness. And so we come to you right now expecting you and asking you to speak to us, asking you to um, teach us, just like we were one of the disciples with you, yourself, Jesus, and you were teaching them. Um, we, we, we are ready to hear from you, from your word. And so speak, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's read the text first this morning, and then and then we'll get into it. First, from Mark chapter six, starting in verse forty-five. It says, "Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray." Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars, because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the sea, and wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to shore at Gennesaret and anchored there. As they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him. They hurried throughout that region and began to carry the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch just the end of his robe, and everyone who touched it was healed. This is the word of the Lord for this morning, and we are excited to dive in. So sometimes life gets overwhelming, right? Have you, have you, have you felt that before? Of course you have, right? We, we all feel the ups and experience the ups and downs of life, the emotions of life, the situations of life, the challenges, the joys. And everything else. And I, I love this text this morning because I think it, it, it speaks to how do we handle and how do we think about life? How does God want us to, to think about life when we are faced with storms? When we're faced with some resistance, wind, or even maybe like the case of Peter, when we start to drown. How do we handle that? How do we think about that? And specifically, some of us maybe this morning feel very deeply uh, some sort of personal grief or challenge in life. Maybe there's a sense of purposelessness. Maybe there's anxiety over something or uh, a fear or a doubt. And and I think that this text speaks to that and, 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 a, and a lot of other things. And so we're gonna we're actually going to look at um, four different points today. And um, I, I'm so encouraged to, to consider. And each of these four, they're related, but they're also stand-alone. And so I hope my prayer for each of us this morning is that, that the Spirit of God will grip our hearts on one of these points or more, and, uh, and we'll come away appreciating something more of, of, of who Jesus is and what he has for us today. So here's our outline this morning, four things. Uh, first, Jesus prioritizes prayer. Secondly, uh, Jesus defied nature. Third, Jesus taught courage. And lastly, Jesus embraced neediness. And so uh, let's, let's dive in. So I want us to set the scene. Uh, I, I, I know some of you in the back especially can't see the, the, the village names and all that kind of stuff, but this is a map of the Sea of Galilee and the, and the surrounding regions. So the, the story previous to this, if you missed last week or you just weren't here— um, we just got done listening to or reading the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people with just a few loaves and some fish. He just had a little small little lunch and he fed 5,000 people with it. An amazing miracle. And this happened, uh, we believe this happened, there's some debate to this because there's four different gospels and they all have slightly different accounts. It's I've heard it illustrated this way: like if you were to witness a car accident from the south, and I were to witness the car accident from the east, we would see the same thing, but we would have slightly different takes on it. Maybe there was something that was blocking your vision, and so you missed the fact that there was uh, a cat that walked by the car and made it made it swerve. But I saw the cat, so I talk about the cat in my report, but you didn't because you didn't see the cat because of your perspective or your angle. That's somewhat what we have with the Gospels, right? There's, there's different persuasions, different kind of focal points that each of the Gospel authors mention. So we're not exactly sure where it was, but we think it was on the, the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. And, um, and I actually misspoke last week. I said that they were in Bethsaida, and, uh, but, but that's up at the north. And I was going off of Luke's account, which was general. Too much details to get into, but anyways, because they're, 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 they were heading towards Bethsaida, they think. So somewhere on the eastern shore. And, um, and so pro- probably a little bit of a general timeline location marker here. We don't really know exactly. But we do know that after the feeding of the 5,000 in our story, Jesus told them to go to the other side. And they ended up, at the end of our story, they ended up at uh, Gennesaret, which you can see is across the sea. It's about the distance of eight miles. And that's going to come to play some significance later. So, um, so that gives you a little, bit of a, a little bit of a context. Now, John's Gospel says that after these events, they end up in Capernaum. He says they end up there the next day. And so since the Jewish day starts in the evening at sundown, uh, it's probably referring to the day after the day they arrived at Gennesaret. So there's no contradiction there. Some people want to look through the Bible and say, oh, that's a contradiction. But it's like, well, no, you've got to look a little deeper and say, okay, the next day, they went to Capernaum to do ministry there. And so John chapter six, that's what happens. The fun part about this, this section of John, or a section of Mark, rather, is that all four gospels speak into this chapter and, and mention the chapter. So we have a lot of context that we can draw on, and we'll go to some of those places as we go today. But first, let's jump into this point that Jesus prioritized prayer. This was largely our topic last week. If you remember, we talked about the importance, the significance of rest and how Jesus told them after a very busy season of ministry, he says, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. And so we know that they didn't get to because people swarmed them. Over 5,000 people swarmed them. Jesus fed them because he had compassion on them. But here Jesus, we find, as, as our text says, It says that he dismissed the crowds, he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Now this is interesting because from Mark's viewpoint, it sounds like, oh, this was a nice, peaceful, hey, see you guys later, you know, have a nice day, it was great to minister to you and feed you out of just this little lunch, right, just this casual kind of conversation like goodbye, but John's gospel says that they were going to take him by force and make him their king. And so it gives you a little extra context from John's perspective. That this was actually an intense situation. This was no simple nonchalant like, yeah, goodbye, see you later. This was Jesus having to calm them down, saying, "Hey, look, no, settle down, people. the time 's not yet, and having to to with his wisdom and his power and his authority say, "No, you know be dismissed i 've got to have some time with my father and so he he sends the disciples away, and they you Look at the language. He made his disciples get into the boat. What does that suggest? Yeah, because they're probably like, Jesus, are you listening to the crowds? They're gonna make you king. They're they're gonna like force themselves upon you. This was an intense situation. Jesus is like, I got this. You guys go. And and he did. And so he dismisses the crowds and he goes up to the mountain to pray. He fights for his time with God. His father, he said, I need to have time with my father. I can't be worried about trivial earthly matters, things that other people want for me. I, I don't want to take their expectations of me, I don't want to take people's thoughts about what the kingdom of God should look like and apply that to my life. I'm going to make sure I prioritize time with my father. Jesus knew that he needed that. God, the Son, who is walking the earth, needed time with his father. And so again, the point is how much more do we? So uh, application uh, for us today. We need to fight for time to rest. And like we talked about last week, this is not just kick your feet up and watch TV all day. That's n- There's no sense in, in the scriptures that gives us that idea of a biblical idea of rest. The biblical idea of rest is a rest in Jesus Christ. It is, a, it is actually a time, the, the day of the Lord, the, 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 the Sabbath day or the, you know, the su- Sunday as we celebrate today as Christians, the, the day that is unto the Lord for rest is to be especially devoted to Him. It is not a day that we just watch football all day, and I can say that because the Bills aren't playing today. Um, but no, it's, <laughs> you know, if they were in the Super Bowl, we'd probably all be watching it. But no, but it... And it's okay to have some of that time. We don't want to be religious about it, like overly religious. But we need to understand what God d- designs us for. He designs us for relationship with Him primarily. Physical and just, you know, physical rest and that kind of rest is important as well. But what is most important, what we need, is time with God. And so we should prioritize that, especially on our, our day, day off, the day of the Lord. But with that, while we fight for rest, we also lead with compassionate. That was grammatically awesome. Um, <laughs> that's when you're typing up your notes and you just push it in there and you don't think about it, what you're saying. Uh, but we lead with compassion, right? Um, and I think we, we, we also see Jesus. He didn't just say, all right, people, just, I'm out of here. You just get out of here. And, just, and he just ran up the mountain by himself. Or he could have just teleported to the mountain, right? Because he's Jesus. He can do that, as we're going to see in a little bit. He can do whatever he wants over nature. He could have just been like, poof, I'm gone. I'm not going to deal with you people anymore and just been sick and tired of it, like you and I would have probably done, right? Um, Instead, he takes the time and speaks to these people with the dignity that he knew that they deserved as human beings made in the image of God. And he said, I'm going to talk with them. I'm going to dismiss them, and then I will retreat. So he led with compassion. He didn't just coldly shut people out. So that, that's, that's what it is for us as well, because we are to walk as Jesus walked. So we need to fight for our time of rest and lead with compassion. So the story continues, though. And uh, the story continues with a, a series of five ways that Jesus defied nature. And these are really, really fun. And so let's look at it. Starting in verse 47. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the sea, and wanted to pass by them. So Matthew's account of this says that they were, they were a stadia away, which is an indefinite, amount of distance approximated to be three to four miles. Now, in the middle of the night, I don't know about you, but I can't see 10 feet down the road, let alone three to four miles in the middle of the sea, where, you know, you could argue, well, maybe it was a clear night, maybe the moon was out, but remember, it was windy, so it's probably cloudy, there's windy, so there's waves going on. The boat probably wouldn't have been very visible three to four miles away in the, in the middle of the evening, right, after dark. And so here we have Jesus with his super eyesight, right? Because it says, he says he saw them straining at the oars. You might be able to make up the boat, maybe. If it's a clear night, moon's out, maybe make up the boat. You're not going to see the oars and the people straining, but of course Jesus did. Jesus was standing on the shore, and he saw them just demonstrating the power of God. And then, of course, I think, obviously, the main miracle, uh, the main way Jesus defined nature, although I was interested to take a poll. How many of you thought this was Jesus' power over gravity versus the power over the physical law of buoyancy? I don't know how exactly to think about it. Was it Jesus defined gravity, or was it Jesus read? (laughs) redoing his body in such a way that he could float on the water. We don't know, but whatever it was, Jesus completely cut through the laws of nature and said, I am going to just walk to my disciples. And interestingly enough, he doesn't just walk to them. He was going to walk past them. I've always found that detail to be interesting. Did you pick up on that? It says that he was going to walk by them. Don't you wonder? I wish These are the times and the moments where I wish god would were to give us a little bit more here like why were you gonna just walk past him was it gonna be like uh, hey guys see ya and just like "Ha ha, i can walk on water and you have to like work really really hard at rowing the boat here like was it a you know i mean i don't think jesus was quite like that probably you and i would have been right come on right you and i would have just been like haha i can walk on water and you can't i mean let's be honest right i mean i think that's kind of our hearts right But Jesus, for whatever reason, was about to walk by them, um, but they saw him. So we we continue. Verse 49, it says, When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And then he continues, uh, then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. There's a lot there, but the next way that Jesus defies nature that we see is power over the wind. I mean, this is incredible. He gets into the boat. As soon as he gets into the boat, the wind just stops. I find that super fascinating. It's very similar to an earlier miracle when Jesus spoke to the wind and to the waves. And not only the wind stopped, but also the waves. And there was a great calm on the sea. And then the, the other one that we don't find here in Mark, the fourth way that Jesus defined nature, but we find it in the Gospel of John. And it's, it's a really fun detail. I really, I really love this because um, I just find it to be really cool. In John chapter 6, so this is John's um, version of Jesus walking on the water. So in John chapter 6, verse 20, it's, Jesus says, It is I, don't be afraid. Verse 21, Then they were willing to take him on board. They're like, okay, you can come on board, right? We, we, now we know it's you, Jesus, you can come on board. And at once, the boat was at the shore where they were heading. So now we've got... Now, here's another question for you. Was this time travel or was it teleportation? Which one is it? Who's on the time travel side? Anyone know? Teleportation? Everybody's at teleportation? I think it's teleportation too. Um, yeah, it's fun. I mean, but you know what? He could have defied nature however he wanted. He could have defied nature by both those means. Um, and the cool thing was is that Jesus just says, you know what? As if the first three things weren't enough, let's just teleport to the other side. Let's just, let's just, let me just remind you and show you again afresh how powerful I am. Yeah, another three or four miles, exactly, to the to the other end of the shore. And so Jesus just it's almost like when Jesus wants to show a point, when he wants to prove a point, he does it to an obvious effect. And, and maybe that's because maybe we're a little slow of, of hearts, right? And I think we see that actually coming up here. And then the last way that Jesus uh, defied nature in the text, at least that, that's obvious, um, was, was at the end of our story in verse 56, it says that everyone who touched Jesus was healed. And, so, and, and that's the one that we, we tend to just kind of shrug off, like, okay, yeah, yeah, Jesus healed more people, of course. But I, I think we should never lose the, the wonder of Jesus' power over sickness and disease and demon possession and blindness and, and lameness and, and everything else. Even death. Jesus's power is incredible. So five ways that Jesus defied nature in our text this morning. Once again, are we surprised that Jesus defies nature? No. When we read this, we're not surprised if we understand Jesus to be God. This should not shock us. We shouldn't be like, oh wow, that's incredible. I mean, we should have a little bit of a wow fact, right? But when we understand that this is Jesus, the creator of the entirety of the universe, it really doesn't wow us all that much, because it's like, well, of course he's going to do that. Jesus gets to break the rules because he establishes them. In a similar way, you know, a computer programmer, right, or, you know, a software developer, right, who sets up a system for people to use, gets to suspend that or rewrite that code and change it to however they want. Why? Because they're the creator of it. A normal person like me, who's you know, whips out his phone and he's like, why isn't the app working? I don't understand it, you know? And I'm like all confused because it's not working. It's supposed to work. But a guy like Corey or Jeremiah or somebody can come in and just be like, oh, let me just get in there. Okay, it's fixed now. And I'm just like, what in the world is going on? They get to break the rules, so to speak. They get to overwrite the system because they're the creators of it, right? They know how to do that. And that's the way Jesus is. He's, he's over it all, so he gets to do it. He has authority over it. And I think it's too, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't define nature for his own kicks and giggles, right? It's not just like, oh, I'm just going to have fun today, and like you and I would probably do. We would just probably, you know, I don't know, if we were out to sea, we would probably just like make circles with the waves and stuff, and just do all these fun things. I don't know, at least that's what I would do. Man, Emma's, Emma's having a tough time this morning. <laughs> like we would just, we would do all sorts of fun and silly things. I'd probably like... Be like, you know, a superhero that like makes like steps for the water. I'd be going up the steps of the water and do all sorts of fun things. But, but Jesus does it purposefully. Jesus always has a purpose for when he defies nature. Same with the feeding of the five thousand. Why did he Why did he feed the five thousand? What was What was the purpose of that? Well, the purpose of it was to feed them. Was to provide for them. It was to show compassion. Here these people were, they were hungry, and Jesus said they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost. They, they, they didn't have the awareness of who Jesus was, and so he was going to show them how much he loved them in a very practical way. How about the, all, the, all the times that Jesus healed people from sicknesses? Once again, it's compassion. The compassion of Jesus He wanted to heal people because he loved them. And so what is it here? What's the purpose of this one? Because this wasn't really a thing, this wasn't really compassion, this wasn't necessarily love. What was the purpose of this, of Jesus' defying nature in these ways? I think there's two. Again, I say I think because it's not explicitly spoken in the scripture of what the purposes were. But there seems to be two um, purposes. And the first is our application The first is our application of, okay, what do we do with, okay, Jesus defied nature. Cool. What do we do about that? We we trust in Jesus. I believe one of the reasons why Jesus did these miracles, with the walking on the water, with the teleporting to the shore, calming the wind, all of these things, was for them to learn to trust in him. That Jesus' power is greater than your problems, your situations, your storms, your fill-in-the-blank. Jesus' authority is greater than anything and everything that you'll ever go through. He sees your problems. He sees your struggles. He sees the difficulties. He sees the broken situations and relationships, financial stress, life in general. He knows it all, and he is telling you, I am greater than it. I'm over it. I can speak anything into that. I can break the chains. I can fix anything. I can do whatever I want. And he's inviting us to trust in him, specifically in his power and his sovereignty over our situations. You know, is Jesus greater than the problems that we face? Well, of course, I think we would all say that. Is Jesus the ultimate authority? who knows all things and who will not allow anything to happen outside of his knowledge and control. Yes. So what's the end result? We can trust him. You know, and for some of you, you're like, all right, Kevin, that's 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 pretty simple and basic. Um, if you're interested in really diving into this specific uh, application point more, I want to recommend to you an absolutely great book. If you've been at this church for more than 10 years, you probably remember it. Uh, we went through this book called Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. And this was, this was one of my favorite small group studies that we ever did here at the church. And uh, it's a fantastic read. It's a really great read. Um, I know I recommended a couple books last week. I would put this right up there with, with those. Uh, Trusting God, Even When Life Hurts. And it's, it's a very theological but also practical um, take on why and how we can trust God. So feel free to look at that if you want. Uh, even, if, even if you wanted to take it for a few weeks, that's fine. Um, just make sure you bring it back. Um, okay, so um, let's trust God. So that's the first reason why Jesus, I, I think, defied nature and showed himself this way to the disciples. What's the second, the second reason or the second purpose? And I think it might be our, our third point here, uh, that Jesus taught courage. I think it was to inspire courage in the, in the disciples. I think Jesus showed himself in this way to specifically teach them to have courage. At the end of verse 50, we see, I think I've got it on the screen. Yeah, at the end of verse 50, it says that he spoke with them and said, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Or, or, or have peace, or have Have good cheer is another way to say it. There's there's some interpretation questions to the the exact kind of meaning or context of this phrase, but take courage is actually a a good translation for this context. Because he says, don't be afraid, but instead have courage. Notice how terrified the disciples were. Again, just remind you, they were were fishermen, They, they had been out on the sea, for their entire lives, not all of them, but many of them were fishermen, and they were genuinely afraid—not just because of the wind. I don't think that was the biggest thing. I think they were more afraid because of Jesus, because you don't—it's not every day that you see a guy walking on water, right? Um, that just doesn't happen. And so their natural conclusion, I think, is understandable, right? It's—it's—it's it's, it's a figment of our imagination. It's some—maybe they thought it was the angel of death come to take them down to Sheol. Which very which could have been a very real way, very real thought they might have had, if the storm was bad enough. But whatever it was, they were beside themselves. Now there's an extra, uh, a fun extra to this story, and I know many of you are thinking about it, and it's it's in Matthew's gospel. Uh, Matthew's account of this event has a really uh, powerful and significant. Uh, story that's only found in Matthew it's not in Mark's account or John's account of this story and it reads like this so Jesus spoke to them have courage it is I don't be afraid the same phrase verse 28 of Matthew 14 Lord if it's you Peter answered him command me to come to you on the water Jesus said to him come And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly you are the Son of God. So I thought that's not our text today, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I think it is interesting, at least for us, to make a few observations from this uh, extra uh, aspect of the story. Peter shows us in this story that it is right to have courage when the Lord is with us. Jesus just got done saying to them, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter said, okay, okay, I won't be afraid. I'll have courage, I'll go out to you. And then, of course, we also learn from Peter that as soon as our focus gets off of Jesus and it, it leaves Jesus, we start focusing on the natural world, we start focusing on ourselves, we start focusing on our safety, our security, our problems, we start to sink and our courage fades. And so what is specifically the point of courage here in this story of Jesus walking on the water? Well, without courage, you will be either paralyzed in a situation or a season of life which requires you to move or make a decision, or just generally speaking in life, you will recoil or default to what is comfortable. So what is the big deal? Here's the big deal. God did not create us for comfort and ease of life. Right? God did not create us to just sit on the sidelines and just allow other people to do the work of God. Our purpose is not to be safe and happy in mediocrity. God created us to walk on water, so to speak. He created us to get out of the boat of comfort. And, and, and for some of us, you know, and, and for a lot of preachers, it's been like, you know, God wants you to do this or that, and it's some big, enormous thing. But I don't think that's the point of this story. I don't think it's that, that God wants us to do something amazing like walk on water, but I think God just simply wants us to do the things that he calls us to do, Amen. like love people. Maybe let's try loving the people that are just right around us. Love one another. Love our, the people in our family, even when it's hard. Maybe he wants us to speak truth to someone who needs to hear it. Come on, we all face this tension, haven't we? Haven't we all faced this tension of when we, we know, I, I need to say this to this person. And yet there's like this apprehension because it's like, oh, how are they going to take it? And I don't know what to say exactly. And, and we start either fumbling over our words or we just don't even try to speak in general. Maybe God's calling us to organize or participate in a ministry that will bless the community. I was talking to Mark about that just the other day. Maybe he's calling us to run towards this person that we're having relationship problems with, not run away from them. Run towards the person. Because what we tend to do is we run away from them and then we slander, we judge, and we're embittered against them. And what is it that God's calling us to do? God's calling us to run towards that person and say, hey, let's talk about this. Hey, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Or, hey, this bothered me. These are such basic things, but they're so important because they can change the whole trajectory of your life. If you allow relationships to slip, if you you don't walk in love and take opportunity to obey what God says is the best way to live life, you're going to regret it. You're going to find yourself in places of bitterness or anger or resentment or slander and it's just going to eat away at your soul God calls us to the courage of obedience to him God calls us to walk with him out on the water so to speak in the places that are uncomfortable maybe even unnatural so how can we do this like how do we find the courage to do this well I I think we do I think Peter's our our guide here in, in a way We immerse ourselves with Jesus. We immerse ourselves with Jesus. We abide with him. Because what does John say? When you abide with him, what's the result? You produce much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. If you're not abiding with me, Jesus is telling us, you can't do anything of spiritual eternal value. You can do a lot of natural good, Right there, there's a lot of natural good that's not done in the name of Jesus. But if you want to walk the way Jesus is calling us to, we've got to abide in Him, because Jesus is the ultimate and He's the perfect source of courage. And so I I think our our application here is to be encouraged, <laughs> to be encouraged, to be inspired with courage, to be filled with courage. Why? Because Jesus is with you. If you're in Christ here this morning, if you have Come to the place where you said, I believe in Jesus Christ, like we sung about. (laughs) I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I have come to him with faith and with repentance and said, God, I am sorry for my sins. Would you forgive me? i want to devote my life to you. The scripture says you will be saved. The promise of God is that he comes into your life. The Holy Spirit of God actually takes up residence in your spirit. And it's nothing that you'll feel. It's nothing that you're going to like all of a sudden be like, and all of a sudden you're taken over by the Spirit of God. No, it's actually, it's actually very much not a feeling. Some people ex- feel something, right? Um, but you, it's not nece- that's not necessary. Nowhere in the Scripture does it say you must feel a certain way. But what it happens is that the Spirit of God comes into your life, and the Holy Spirit changes you and makes you a child of God so that we can then have courage to live as Jesus is calling us to live. So let's be encouraged, church, those of you who have Jesus Christ, those of you who have the Spirit of Christ in you. Jesus is with you, and like the psalmist says, what can man do to me? Right? What can life throw at me? Yeah, life can throw at you some pretty harsh things, but ultimately, when God himself is with you, What do we have to be afraid of? But we also must appropriate this truth. Let's not just say, oh good, Jesus is with me. But let's take action based on it. Let's be like Peter, who thought it was safer to be with Jesus out of the boat, on the water, than in the natural security that the boat provides. I love how John MacArthur puts it. This is what John MacArthur says. He says, it is not difficult to imagine that Peter sometimes followed so closely behind Jesus that he bumped into him when Jesus stopped. I love that imagery. Peter sensed in Jesus' presence a wonderful safety and comfort, and that is where Peter wanted to be. It was safer to be with Jesus on the water than to be without him in the boat. Now, before we move on uh, to our last point, we have, to, we have to think through this one statement here at the end of verse 52. Actually, at the end of 51, into 52. It says, they were completely astounded. I mean, right? <laughs> I don't think we're astounded by the fact that they were astounded. right? I think we understand. Of course, if you see Jesus walking on water, that's pretty amazing. You're going to be like, whoa, what's going on? But this is why. Because they had not understood about the loaves, and Of course, it's referring to the feeding of the five thousand Jesus, Jesus had five loaves of bread, little tiny loaves of bread like this, and two little fish and he fed five probably closer to ten to fifteen thousand people five thousand men so they didn't under so they haven't yet processed that they didn't they, they experienced it, and they were in awe, but they didn't understand it they didn't understand that fully yet that Jesus had power over nature. They didn't understand that Jesus, that they were in the presence of the creator of the universe, even though they even said, in, according to Matthew, you are the son of God. There was still this tension within them between faith and doubt. They, they, they understood, okay, Jesus has done these things and Jesus has said these things, but I just don't get it. Have you ever felt that way? Right, where you know certain things about Jesus or you know certain things about God or the scriptures, but then life seems to, almost get in the way and you're just like I I don't I don't understand how is that possible and it's a tension within you and this seems to be the case for them it says that their hearts were hardened what does that mean you know I I think typically here we think of we think of pharaoh right for for the for the for the person in here who's been a Christian for a long time whenever you you hear the 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 term hardened hearts you think of pharaoh it takes you back to the story of the book of Exodus, when the Israelites were slaves uh, to Egypt, and Moses came to Pharaoh and said, "God says, let my people go." And Pharaoh's like, "No." And then we have the ten plagues. God's like, "Okay, if you're not gonna budge, then I'm gonna I'm gonna make you budge." And God gave Pharaoh ten opportunities to relent his stubborn will, but Pharaoh didn't. And the first few plagues, it was. Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then, after, I think it was the fifth one, it's God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And, and, it's, and it's a very interesting, um, very interesting story and a very interesting concept to understand. What does it mean that your heart can be hardened? And for Pharaoh, it seemed to especially be an unwillingness or a stubbornness of his will to relent to God. God desired something, and Pharaoh said, no, I don't want that. Is that what we have here with the disciples? Is there a, is there a unwillingness to submit to Jesus' will here? I, I don't think so. I, I can't say for sure, but it, it doesn't seem to be, because I think... The Greek word here in the text for hardened carries with it potentially a stubbornness of the will, or it can carry the idea of a lack of understanding, which seems to more fit the context here. That that their heart was hardened from the standpoint of they just didn't get it. There was, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, there was a veil over their eyes to the point where they they just couldn't receive the truth that this Jesus was the Messiah that he was not just the Messiah but that he was God in human form. I mean, let's face it. That's a pretty big idea for a human to grasp. Like for us we sometimes we give the we kind of kick the disciples in the rear end because we're just like, "Come on, guys, don't you get it by now?" Like, "What's what's taking you so long to figure this out?" Because we've had 2000 years of history to look back on Jesus and understand that he's the Messiah, right? So easy for us to be like, come on, guys, don't you get it? But to be in their situation, that you were taught your whole life, this is what the Messiah is going to look like, the, the Savior of the Jews, right? The one who is going to establish the kingdom of God on earth forever, for all generations, deliver the people from Roman rule, and, to, you know, and to, to be their own nation where the blessing of God is and all these things. It was a physical, temporal kingdom. Yes, eternal, but temporal from the standpoint of natural. And here Jesus comes, and he comes in weakness, not in power. He comes doing miracles, not overthrowing governments. He comes teaching with authority, not exerting authority. And, it, it, and it's, it's everything that the disciples didn't think would be the Messiah. And so let's give them a little, a little break here. So they were hardened in their hearts. They didn't understand Before we get to our last point, I want to ask you the question, what do you do if you feel like your heart is a little hardened here this morning? Or maybe, maybe you don't realize that maybe your heart really is hardened in some ways. What do we do about that? Whether it's stubbornness or whether it's just lack of understanding, what do we do? And if you're here and you're at all concerned about your relationship with God, or if you're a little bit confused, or maybe you grew up a different way, and now Kevin, what you're saying is different, or you've got questions about theology or who Jesus is, or whatever. what should you do about it? Well, I would propose two related things. first, you pray, right Cause, why? Because it's like okay, if if your lack of understanding or if your if your struggle is with understanding who God is who better to ask you to clear up the the misunderstandings than God himself? And if God actually cares for us, which he does, and if he listens to our prayers, which he does, then why not ask him for clarity? Why not ask God to open up your heart to him? To break the hardened barrier that you've put between you and God and to smash it to pieces so that you can experience all the fullness of God. Why not just ask him and say, God, Am I missing something? Help me open my eyes. Help me to see. And then secondly, once again, we've got to put legs to our prayers. It's not enough just to just to think something or to say something, but then we've got to walk in obedience and say, okay, God, I'm asking you for clarity. Now I have to seek you for the clarity. Cause because God could supernaturally just boom like matrix it into your back of your head. Right? He could do that, but he rarely does that. Usually he does it when the word of God is received, when it's spoken over us or when we read it and the spirit of God says, yes, see, that was for you. That right there, that, that's my truth. That changes you. It's the truth of God. It's the word of God that changes you. So we have to pray, but then we have to spend time with Jesus. We have to seek him. Because when we seek him, then he will be found. And in case you're like, well, I don't know. Maybe you're a little skeptical of that. Let me give you a few verses to encourage you. Proverbs eight seventeen, God says, I love those who love me, and those who search for me find me. Deuteronomy four twenty nine, God, uh, actually this, uh, Moses says here, you will search for the Lord your God, and you will find him when you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. Matthew 7, verse 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And and there's 5 to 10, 20, 30 more the scriptures we probably could have pulled together, but those are some of the ones that I especially love. So church, the, the promise for us is that when we seek God, he will allow himself to be found by us. He, and it's not, not even that. It's not like he's playing hide and go seek with us, right? Like, oh no, I'm not there. You got to find me, search a little harder. No, it's not like that. It's more like as soon as we take a step, he's there, right? Like it's, it's not like he, like we've got to work really hard. He just wants us to take a step. He just wants us to, to open up our Bibles and then just watch how he meets you. See, and some of you, are, yeah, some of you are nodding your heads because you've had this experience. You've just opened up your Bibles and all of a sudden, boom, the Spirit of God is like, yeah, that, that's for you. Not that it happens every single day, but the more you seek God, watch how he works. It's just a simple law. God wants to be found, and so do you think he's going to make it hard? No, he's given us everything we need. But we've got to be diligent to to, to pursue him. If you're miserable, what do you think you should do about it? If you're depressed, if you're in sorrow, if you're frustrated by your circumstances and situations in life, what should you do about it? Relentlessly seek God. Relentlessly seek him. Not to say that all your problems are going to go away. You're still going to have to deal with that. And not to say that all your sorrows are going to go away or your depression, or your anger, or your fill-in-the-blank. Things don't happen necessarily overnight. But as we seek and pursue God, he begins to, to cultivate the soil of your heart, and it begins to be softened so that the seed can take root, it can germinate and produce great fruit. All right, lastly. So not only did Jesus teach courage, um, yeah, so be encouraged, pray, spend time with Jesus, um, but Jesus embraced neediness. Um, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here just because we've seen this so much in the Gospel of Mark already. Uh, so many accounts of Jesus healing people, healing people, healing people. Um, not to say that, well, we've done it before, so we don't need to talk about it anymore. But, but we'll, we do need to at least mention it. So starting in verse 53 to the end. When they had crossed over, they came to shore at Gennesaret and anchored there. As they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him. They hurried throughout that region and began to carry the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch just the end of his robe, and everyone who touched it was healed. You know, neediness wasn't a problem for Jesus. Don't you wish, you, don't you wish you had that? Come on, some of us I'm this way. I it's some neediness, I I struggle with it, right? And for Jesus, it was just like, yeah, let me, let me, let me, come to me, interrupt my day. I'll, I'll love you. I I hate to be interrupted. I hate to, when I have a plan, I hate when, when something is like, boom, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, I, now what do I do? <laughs> like, you know, now I've got to adjust, and I've got to, you know, just change everything, and it's just like, ah, uh, you know. And, uh, and it's challenging. But for Jesus, this was life as normal. And I think this is the key. This is why he came. Right, This is why he came in the first place. He came for us. And who are we? Needy people, right? We are, each one of us are the most needy people. We needed Jesus so bad. We don't even, I, I don't think we appreciate how much, how needy we are, how needy we were and still are. And we were completely and utterly spiritually dead with no hope, um, condemned to hell because of our sin and disbelief in Jesus. And Jesus came and he said, but I want you to be a part of my family. I don't want want that situation to continue. I want to break through, give you hope, give you life, give you peace and joy eternally. And that's what Jesus did, and he did it through sacrifice. He did it by giving his very life to us. So we see that in, in in a small way through the healing of sick people, but we see it in an ultimate way at the cross. And, and, and we are called once again to, um, to, to have this mind in us that was also in Christ Jesus, who even though he existed in the form of God, Jesus is God in the flesh, even though that was the case. He did not consider equality with God as a thing to be exploited or used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which was an awful way to die. So this gospel, this gospel message of Jesus Christ, it is too significant. It is too important. We need to courageously step into resting in Jesus well, trusting in him, loving others, even when it's hard, this, this is what we're called to do. And so, um, lastly, don't see people as problems or annoyances. Instead, lead with compassion. Let's be courageous in these things. Courageous to prioritize rest. Courageous to prioritize relationship with God and seeking him. Even in our doubts, even in our circumstances, even in our sorrows, our depression, our frustration, whatever it might be, Seek Jesus relentlessly because therein can we have courage and the ability to love people that we're called to love. So church, these are, these are just some of the things that we get from this little portion of scripture. I know, it can be overwhelming. But when we seek God, when we spend time with Jesus, he equips us to do it. So let's make that our heartbeat today. Let's make that our, our application today to continue to seek God. Some of you are seeking God well. Keep going. Keep doing it. Some of you are are here and you're like, you know what? Yeah, I've sloughed off. Or "I've, I've allowed things to get swallowed up in my life. I've allowed Jesus to almost get swallowed up by my circumstances and storms. Where I look at Jesus through my storms rather than my storms through Jesus. And you need to reverse that. And so pray. Seek the Lord. And be courageous. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time we could dive into your word and and consider this just really cool and important story of how you walked on water to show your disciples your power and authority and also to remind them, God, that they can have courage because you're with us. And we can have that as well. And so I thank you for this truth. I thank you for reminding us again, God, that we can do anything that you call us to do. Even those hard things, even those things that we don't want to do. Because you, Holy Spirit, are inside of us. And so we cry out to you and we ask, God, that you would move in our hearts, make us to be so just powerfully connected to you. God, give us a tenacity for it. May we seek you like we've never sought after anything else ever before. And so um, that's our prayer, God. Lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.